Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word, that we might know your living word, the Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, for his name's sake. Amen. I'm going to start at verse 13 again of chapter 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Many people spend their lives trying to atone for their past. It might be a single incident that burns into our consciences so that we can't spend a day without reliving the memory. And again and again we relive the memory, and the pain just seems fresh every time. It could be a failed relationship, a deep betrayal, or an act that we are so ashamed of that we just couldn't face the world if it was made public. The author of the Sherlock Holmes books, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, once famously sent a telegram to the 12 most renowned people in London of his day. It simply said, flee All is revealed. Within 24 hours, six of them had left the country. For most of us, though, it's it's not a single event, but it's simply an unshakable burden of guilt and shame. I've been a Christian 30 years this year, and I guess most days I feel like I've made, well, no progress. I was looking back at some old holiday family films and it just seemed that well I was more fun I was easier going I was a nicer sort of person back in the 1990s sometimes our our efforts to deal with our guilt mean we try and cover up or we're quick to defend ourselves we we dig in and refuse to admit when we were wrong for others shame means that they have to pay 
Their body doesn't deserve food. The pain has to be inflicted on them. Their failure to to meet the demands they feel placed on them by a, a hostile world, it has to be atoned for. If they can't love themselves, then they either have to make themselves lovable or they have to punish themselves. Self-loathing leads to self-harm. But what we've come to this evening is God's answer to all our guilt and shame. God's answer to our open wounds. It's the passage at the heart of Isaiah's message of how God is going to bring a rebellious people back into a relationship of eternal love with him. And it's the heart of these servant songs. There are four servant songs in Isaiah. We're looking at the fourth. And this is the heart of this last servant song. Actually, it's not just the heart of the servant song. It's the heart of the Bible's message. Or maybe even more, as one writer says, the center point of human history. It's a good night to be here. If you're not yet a Christian, this is the heart of why Jesus is good news. As we've seen, it's a passage written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, but it's all about him. These are promises that are fulfilled on the first Good Friday as Jesus dies on the cross. It's a passage that's written to the the small kingdom of Judah, all that's left of God's people in the 8th century BC, just before they're taken off into exile in Babylon as a result of their constant disobedience of God. But actually it's filled with promises for anyone from anywhere who will come humbly to Jesus and say, I cannot deal with with my guilt and my shame. It's a passage that deals with our biggest issue, which is not first and foremost how we feel about ourselves, but actually how God feels about us. But, but as it shows how God deals with the way he feels about us, as it shows him taking the initiative to deal with our sin, our rebellion against him, It provides us with life-changing love and security. A life-changing love found in three very unattractive words, really. Penal substitutionary atonement. Those are my headings for tonight. Here's the first one. Penal. That just simply means there's a punishment to pay. A penalty. Look at verse 4 with me. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. Uh, For many people, the idea of God punishing seems rather barbaric, out of date, brutal. Uh, We live in a culture, don't we, that assumes basically that human beings are by nature good, and therefore there must be some circumstance that leads to our selfishness or our unkindness, to the way we, we lose our temper in traffic and shout at the people we love. And our culture says what we need, therefore, is education or rehabilitation or medication or, at worst, incarceration, where we stick people that we can't fix. But but the Bible says no. Human beings are by nature those who reject their loving creator. And there is right and wrong as defined by him, and wrong should be punished. Wrong should be punished because God is compassionate, good and loving. Because God is loving and he sees the world he loves, he will not let evil go unpunished. And because God is 
absolutely good. He will not tolerate any wrongdoing. And because God is compassionate, he is going to deal with everything that causes pain and suffering in our lives. And if you're like me, you know that probably in your family, you are one of the primary causes of pain and suffering, as well as joy and happiness. Now, God will punish sin in his world. We often make light, don't we, of our shortcomings or our mistakes. We, we don't lie anymore in the 21st century. We misspeak. We excuse ourselves. But God will have none of it. Our self-love, our self-rule, that desire that, that means I must get my own way, even in the trivial areas of life, well, it leads to a world of pain and suffering that we live in. And in the end, the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. There is hell to pay for the way that we treat God and the way we treat each other. And that hell has been paid by this servant. Because you see, in verse 3, we saw that God's servant would be a man of suffering, familiar with pain, seemingly a, a victim of the world around him, for the first readers, that can only mean one thing. This is a man under God's judgment. They knew that if you obeyed God's law, you were blessed. And if you disobeyed God's law, you were cursed. So if you were in the midst of a life of suffering and pain, you are under God's judgment. But here's the shocking truth. Here's the beautiful promise. Verse 4. Surely, be in absolutely no doubt says Isaiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. This is the certainty I want you to know. This is the fact that changes everything. He took our burden. He took the griefs we bring upon ourselves. He carried the suffering that comes from being under the righteous judgment of God. All the imagery of the cross speaks of God punishing Jesus. The, the oppressive darkness in the middle of the day as God turned the sun off. We just had red. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Like the darkness that fell over the land of Egypt in the book of Exodus as a sign of God's right anger at Pharaoh's refusal to let his people go. The, the agonizing cry from the lips of God's Son. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemak sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The forsakenness of being cast out of God's presence, like, like Adam and Eve cast out of the Garden Eden, like God's people just about to be cast into Babylon. That the pain of God's face of blessing being turned away and replaced by his righteous anger. Even the method of Jesus' punishment, of his death, speaks of God's punishment. But Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. A tree. The, the wooden cross itself a sign that here is one under God's curse for breaking his law, punished. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. The the word stricken has the sense of a blow that is delivered by God against sin. It was used of getting leprosy in the Old Testament, like the leprosy that broke out over Moses' sister Miriam as God's judgment when she rejected Moses as leader. The, The affliction, you see, this servant bears is God's deliberate action against sin. Uh, Not just simply against sin, against all the consequences of sin in our world. Against the totality of the way that since the first human beings rejected God, God has placed creation under a curse. Because in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew records the Lord Jesus healing a leper who comes to him for cleansing. Then healing a Roman soldier's servant with a word. Then healing Peter's mother-in-law with a touch. And to explain what's been going on, listen to what Matthew says. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Or he took up our pain and bore our suffering. It's this verse. And the message is clear. That when Jesus the servant goes to his death, he he doesn't just simply deal with my personal guilt before God. He actually takes upon himself the curse that God puts creation under. He bears the pain and suffering of the entire world so that he can bring about a world where there is no more sickness or sadness or death or sorrow anymore. There's a penalty we paid by all humanity. And this servant has paid it. This servant who we saw last week is both described as being the Lord and growing up before the Lord. This servant who was both God and a man who grew up before God. This servant who is the Lord taking his own punishment as a man. You see, he had to be a man because this is penal substitution. He dies in the place of people. Look at verse 5 with me. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you feel the constant refrain through these verses? He took our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced our transgressions. He was crushed, our iniquities. He was punished, our peace. He is wounded, our healing. What do we bring to this relationship? Our transgressions. The the way we transgress, we constantly seek to cross the line of, of God's good law, constantly baiting our Father in heaven by not just pushing the boundaries, but outright disobeying them because we want to rule our own lives and and our iniquities. That desire in our heart to live 
for ourselves at the expense of others. You see, when we have a, a God who, who loves us, who, who lives at his own expense for us, well, no, our hearts are wired the opposite way. See, transgressions are outward acts of disobedience. Iniquities are our inner desire to do them. And the result is we wound ourselves and we wound others and we stand guilty before God. What does the servant bring to this relationship? Took. Carries the burden of our sin as his own. Bore. It's a word like the the scapegoat. So in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement of God's people, as a symbolic act, they'd, they'd take a goat and the high priest would confess the sins of the people over it, and then the goat would be taken out of the camp as a picture that God had taken the sins of his people right out of the camp, right away from them, gone forever. They, they were so concerned that that image worked that they had someone take the goat into the desert and stay with it so it didn't come back. It's gone. He bore away our sin, never to return. He, he, he is pierced. The strongest term for a, a violent and excruciating death in the Hebrew language. He is crushed to be broken to pieces, to be pulverized. You see, we struggle with a a heavy burden in life. Maybe you're here this evening and you are struggling with a heavy burden of guilt and shame in your life. And Jesus comes and he takes it from us and he bears our load. But in the end, it is a load that crushes anyone who carries it. He is punished, alienated from the God he always loved, experiencing anger from the God he always obeyed. He is wounded, like the lashings from that whip that scourged his back. Uh, But here, the the language used is not of closed wounds, not healed wounds, but of open welts, red, angry, still weeping. And what do we receive from this transaction? We get peace. Not just an end of hostility between us and God, not just finally coming to some sort of agreement, but wholeness. The word is shalom. We get wholeness. Wholeness of relationship with God. Wholeness of relationship with humanity. Wholeness of relationship with, with creation forever. You see, we have a father who wants the peace of restored relationship with his children. Shalom. Peace. While the servant suffers. Because we also receive healing, don't we? We are healed. Our broken personhood is restored. We can't heal ourselves. We don't have to heal ourselves. We are healed. All the open wounds of our hearts, closed, with no scars to bear. All the ongoing feelings of guilt and shame healed so that we feel the same way about our sin as the Lord does. The Lord says this in Jeremiah 31, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I was praying recently beside the bed of someone who was ill in hospital and we were just talking about how 
these truths sometimes are easier to believe than feel. Maybe you're here tonight and you go, I believe this. I believe I am healed, but, but I struggle to feel it. Well, here is the precious truth. We receive everything that the precious servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, deserves. A life of wholeness in relationship with a loving Heavenly Father that can never be taken from us because we never did anything to earn it. And He receives what we deserve. The punishment for sin from a righteously angry God. See, this is penal substitutionary atonement. Atonement because the last image here is of being brought back to God, the God we've all wandered away from. Uh, Look at verse 6 with me. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you see how it starts and ends in the same way? We all, us all. This is what we are all like corporately. All humanity behaves like this, but, but it is something we are individually responsible for. If you've ever driven down a a Welsh lane, you'll experience the stupidity of the average sheep. It is determined in the way that it breaks out of its lush field and wanders down the middle of the road in front of your oncoming car. If it becomes aware of you for some reason known only to itself, rather than stepping to the left or right, it charges down the middle of the road until it realizes that it can do nothing else than fall out of the way. You see, being a sheep is a lethal combination of single-minded stubbornness and total lack of awareness about the danger of your circumstances. That is what a sheep is like on its own. And that is our nature as people. We are so determined to go our own way. Or am I the only person here tonight when someone tells me to do something, whatever they tell me to do, I have an internal negative reaction to it, even if I know they're right? Or perhaps you go, yes, darling, of course, and feel, yes, darling, of course, every time as well. You see, we are by nature determined to go our own way And we're totally unaware of the danger that puts us in. Most people do not have a clue that they stand guilty before a perfectly righteous God. That's the the desperate state of of most of the people we see on our streets. It's the the state of our, our friends and family without Christ. It's the natural state of our hearts, running from God, but not realizing the danger that puts us in. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you remember that, that image of the scapegoat once a year on the Day of Atonement? What, what the high priest would do is he would lay his hands on the scapegoat's head. It, it wasn't any sort of literal transfer. It was a, an image as he confessed the sins of the people. And this word laid on really has the idea of meets in. It's as though what Isaiah is seeing is that Jesus has become the target that all the sins of God's people meet in. And this time it's not symbolic, it is literal, it is actual. God lines all of the sins of his people up and he meets them upon the head of his son. 
all the iniquity laid upon him, atoned for. See, the servant is the target of all our sin, of all your sin, of all my sin. See, how do, how do we deal with the guilt? The guilt that, that crushes us, the guilt that pierces our hearts, the guilt that pains us constantly like an open wound? We can't. Oh, we might try and justify ourselves, but it just doesn't seem to take the problem away. Or we might try and trivialize the issue, but we just cannot get it out of our heads, that incident in the past. So daily, we must tell ourselves this reality. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When I first became a Christian at the young person's camp I went to, this verse was used every single year when a talk was given about the cross. And the illustration goes like this. It was used by a great evangelist in the past called Tori. They'd say, here is this hand. This hand represents you and me. Let's say the lights in this building represent God. And let's say that this book represents our lives. And our lives, they are full of good things that we can rejoice in. But in this book is, is everything we've ever done. There are those things we still remember now that bring us guilt and shame. And everything we've ever said to people's faces and behind their backs. And everything that we've ever thought. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Whereas our sin is on us. What is the result? It, it is a barrier between us and God. It, it deserves his righteous anger being poured down upon it. And it is dark and lonely under there. But, but the Lord Jesus Christ, let's say this hand represents him. And he lived a, a perfect life. We're going to see in Isaiah next week, he committed no sin and no deceit was found upon his lips. And how does the verse go on? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus bears our sin in his body on the tree. And the result for us? Gone. Free to know God. So if you're a Christian, where is your sin? It was on Christ. Where will your sin be tomorrow? On Christ. Where will your sin be in 30 years' time, if the Lord grants you that long? On Christ. That is where it is every single day. And therefore, that means we're people with a new life. Because these verses in Isaiah 53 are most fully quoted by the Apostle Peter as he writes to Christians under persecution in his first letter. And he tells them that penal substitutionary atonement changes their lives forever. Let, let me read you 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see what the servant bore our sins for? The servant bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. We've been healed so that we might not continue to wound ourselves, 
but but seek to live spiritually healthy lives. We were like sheep going astray, but now the servants died to bring us back to our good shepherd, the one who oversees our souls. You see, penal substitutionary atonement changes our lives forever. It means the penalty of our sin has been dealt with, and the power of sin in our life has been broken. And now we can walk following Jesus, our good shepherd. See, Christ's aim as he, as he went to the cross was not that we could live for ourselves, sure that we'd always be forgiven, whatever our half-hearted efforts to follow him were. It's not so that we could be certain that we were loved and continue to love him so little, but, but rather the servant's death on the cross was intended to change us radically, to change us in the essence of who we are, to change us from sheep that go astray, that turn to our own way, to sheep who in the very core of their beings rejoice at following their good shepherd. Peter says that's what penal substitutionary atonement does for you. That's what the servant does for you as he dies. He takes your life and he kills off sin so you might live for righteousness. They're precious truths, aren't they? Do you feel guilty tonight? You don't have to. Are you ashamed of something tonight? It's been paid for, not by you, but by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who died in your place. And if you haven't yet taken your sin to him, can I ask you why not? Why wouldn't you want to? There is a God who has done everything that you might be restored to permanent relationship with him. You might have shalom, peace, and wholeness forever. Penal substitutionary atonement. Do you know how you spell that? L-O-V-E. He did it because he loves us. Let's bow our heads to pray. The moment's quiet for you and I just to do business with the Lord. The words of a confession are going to appear on the screen behind me. If you look at the second line, you'll see why I've chosen to use it tonight. If you would like to come once again to the cross and rejoice in knowing your sins forgiven, uh, do join me in saying this confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. 
we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy on us, pitiful sinners. Spare those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore those who are truly repentant, as you have promised through Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and disciplined life. To the praise of your holy name. Amen. We're going to sing that Jesus paid it all. And once we've sung, David Moss will come and lead us in prayer.